What's up, everybody? This is Moonshine Shotgun Mulligan Podcast, sitting there with my boy CC Stats. What's up, brother? How we doing? What's up, Moonshine? I'm good. I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good, man. Just sitting here watching this good, good desert open, enjoying myself. Yeah, it's pretty slick, man. I mean, it's it's waste management week. These guys are playing night golf. Got a little rain. God only knows how many beers are going around there. I just I saw something funny, a stat that I don't have my phone on me that so many oh, certain amount of beers were sold at the waste management this year. And the question was, will they beat it this year or last right. year? And they said, will they beat it this year? <laughs> I love it. I would probably say yes, they probably will. As long as the weather's good, I think they will. Dude, the waste management's going to be awesome, man. I can't wait. And we'll go into it after this awesome interview. So, so the guest we got, Erica Larkin, she's a local, unbelievable instructor in the DC metro area, Northern Virginia. Uh, the golf instructor at the club of Creighton Farms. You'll see her on social media. She's got some awesome takes on golf in general. So me and CC Stats enjoyed interviewing her and you guys enjoy. Hi. Hey, Erica, what's up? How's it going? Good. How are you? We're doing well. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, you guys. Glad we were able to coordinate this. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice having a local <laughs> guest on, right? So we're out of Centerville and Springfield. So I love that. Round your quarters. So I kind of wanted to jump in right into it, Erica. We've been wanting to get you on for a while. And the last couple of weeks in the podcast, we've been talking all this professional golf of stuff that's going on. What's your thoughts on all this live PGA, like the whole professional golf world right now? Competition is good for business. And I think that a rising tide, a rise, a rising tide floats all boats. So for me, I think that I think Liv is doing some really creative things. They obviously have gotten the attention of a lot of big golf stars. Your John Roms of the world have made the move over there now. That's pretty big news. And it has definitely I pulled back the curtain on the PGA for them to sort of wake up and also have to really take a hard look at themselves, how they're doing business and how they're going to remain competitive. So I, I just think it's a good shakeup all in all in all for golf and making people rethink what formats are interesting to consumers, being relatable, being relevant to the next generation of golfers. Like I think it's healthy and other sports have gone through this before, so golf is taking its turn. So I just think it'll all shake out. Uh, the PJ obviously has to find a happy medium of how they're going to deal with the money that just came in, how that looks for their development, right? because obviously that's going to change things. But at the end of the day, I really do think they're all going to kind of end up as one reinvented entity. Right. I just yeah, don't know when I don't know when that's gonna happen. But. Yeah, because that's what we've been talking about too. It's like we do think it's good for the game of golf long term. Cause I mean, you know, like with NFL, like you're saying, all these other sports, like at some point there has been at times break off leagues and things, and that just drives up business. And yep. if they can kind of pull out some of those things that the PGA tour hasn't done for the consumer consumer, like you're talking about, could yeah. be great for golf. I mean, because to be honest, I kind of enjoyed some of the things they've been doing, at least on the broadcast and things like that. But I hope they come to agreement, though. That's the only thing. It's like, I wonder how it's going to shake out. It's the only thing. Yeah, I guess only time will tell. But there's more money in professional golf than there's ever been. That's good for the players. It's good for the caddies. I think that it reinvigorates what corporations and, and those sponsorship dollars look like, why people would want to be in the limelight of golf. So I just think it is going to give everybody and has already given things a boost attention, media attention, like those are all good things. And whatever happens on the men's side, I think will elevate hopefully the female side as well. They'll just, I don't know if they'll copycat it, but they'll learn lessons from it and they'll figure exactly. out what works. And then, you know, it'll elevate the the lady side too. I was doing a little bit of homework the other day on the PGA university, they call it, right? Am I getting yeah. that right? No, and you got I it. Just yeah. think, I think that's like pretty cool, but they've, almost been forced to go there if you think about it because of the situation right to, exactly. to get new talent to come yep. in and like breed those younger players i mean when you look at the start of this year the main names that are winning tournaments are a lot of new names and rookies and i mean the amateur guy from alabama granted amazing player but like you're not seeing as many of the big names winning on the PGA tour. You're seeing all these sort of younger, newer names. Why? Because most of the older talent has moved on. So right. 
I think that if that doesn't prove it, I don't know what does. And so that's, that's, it's good and it's bad for the PGA, but I do think the university program is kind of cool uh, as a feeder program for the tour. And that is something I'm interested to follow a little bit more closely because you're, it's inevitable that those names are going to get more of the spotlight if things right. keep going the way they're going on, on the, on the live side. So very interesting times for sure. Yeah. I think the interesting times are golf. I think the traditional way of, of players getting onto the tour has changed or even live. Like I'll be honest, the, the one guy that's Caleb Sarati, I believe is the name that's on with John Rom's team. I'd never heard of him and he's came straight from college and joined live. And so yeah. I, I, I don't feel like more and more people are going to start paying attention to that PGA tour university. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned the boost in the women's game. Do you feel that, and this, my opinion is that there has been a boost with the money since Liv has kind of come into mm-hmm. the, come into the play picture. Do you feel that that's the case as well? Yeah, I think that it's moved around a little bit. I think some tournaments have gone away, and the money that goes into the tournaments that remain has been a little bit better. I, it seems. I guess we'll see. You know, the the talent pool in women's golf is still heavily Asian. There are a lot of talented players coming out of other regions in the world. So maybe it continues to get now a little bit more diverse. The, the LET it seems really competitive too. I don't think we watch that much of that like in the US. I don't feel like we hear a lot about it, but there's a lot of good golf being played over there. So it just makes sense to have a world tour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, right. it just yeah, makes right. sense. <laughs> so, so, you know, all these different leagues need to kind of crossover a bit more and certainly the majors in both of the women's and the men's will continue to have a place of their own and and the way the standings are figured out for world rankings and things like that that's going to keep having to shift too as these tours develop so yeah i i don't really i don't know if i've answered your question but it's just interesting to observe the changes and roll with the punches. If you're a player coming up through the ranks, you have to really stay close to the news because the rules keep changing. You right. know what you qualify for and and how you can get exempt for stuff. And oh wait, now I can earn sponsors exemptions and the NIL stuff. Like I mean, it's like constantly changing. I, even as a coach that deals with and coaches elite juniors that are going off to play in college, I feel like I can't even keep up with it. The parents do a better job of you know keeping their you know a pulse on the changes because they have to. But as soon as like that next crop of kids goes off to college and I have a couple other juniors or freshmen or whatever that are coming up, it's like everything changes again. <laughs> so it's tough. It's tough to keep up with all that. So uh, Erica, with your career to kind of the piggyback off that is, is what have you enjoyed the most teaching like amateur golfers from scratch teaching like some of these better junior golfers that are going to go play in college professional golfers like what's your forte because i know we talked to martin chuck and he loves kind of the amateur that's never played and then you get some of the like other people we've talked to that do pga tour instruction what's kind of your forte or, or do you enjoy it all my evolution as a coach i was probably by default teaching mostly juniors and ladies when I started 20 years ago and then got really comfortable with that. And junior golf really became a forte of mine for a long period of time, especially when I was over here at Stonewall and I had my academy there for six, seven years. Like We brought in the community and we had so many junior programs and then parents were starting to get interested. But as I shifted my business to Creighton Farms, it was really more member-focused. And so the pool of juniors was smaller I still gave quality programming, but all the years of coaching all those juniors, the payoff was that, you know, you could, you could really see them grow up over the course of 10, 12, 15 years of coaching these kids from age five to going off to to college. There were quite a few interesting and fun stories of seeing them develop, seeing them become adults. Some kids that, you know, even from way back 2003 at International Country Club, when I was there, when I first became an assistant, I mean, they're like married with kids now. So it, mm-hmm. that's been rewarding to see the evolution of the young ones literally grow up in the game and they come back and they remember me for the time we spent together and and think fondly of that or I help them have a love for the game. So I think that's been really rewarding. I will say that after 20 years of doing a lot of junior golf, I 
kind of felt like I needed to do less of it. It's just, it's a grind. It's very intense. There's a lot of logistics. It's a lot of planning and it takes a lot of energy and I'm getting older. (laughs) And so, you know, I love doing it, but probably more in bursts now than before it was a bigger part, a bigger chunk of what I did. So I guess the best way to say now, if the last say five, six years, as I've shifted a little bit out of more of the junior golf mode and into more adult programming, it's done a few things. One, I mean, I've always enjoyed enjoyed teaching adults and rank beginners, but I really like Martin, probably similarly, I feel like I do a good job speaking to that everyday golfer, the 20 handicap, the person that's trying to break a hundred or trying to break 90. And I do get my share of better AMs that are trying to be breaking 80 or, or maybe try to get down into a super low single digit handicap and play AM events. I mean, I have those clients too. It's always a mix but my sweet spot where I where I really think about my group classes, my golf schools, the content that I put out, my book that I wrote, videos that I make, in my mind, I'm speaking to the golfer that's like trying to break 100 or trying to break 90. It's more that higher mid to high handicap player that's a little bit lost, a little bit overwhelmed with information, maybe gotten a little too mechanical, too many swing thoughts, trying to simplify, needs to understand the golf swing better, but in a way that's simple, like that's kind of, I would say where I am now and where my niche is based on the content that I've produced over the last, you know, half dozen years and how I focused my efforts for those curriculums. Um, It speaks to juniors too. It speaks to women. It speaks to anybody that's trying to develop their game in that level of play but yeah, that's probably 80% of what I do is that now I really enjoy it. It's rewarding to see that big progress for people to like get the aha moment, have that wow golf shot, and then be a bit more hooked or a bit more confident and inspire them to play and practice a little bit more. So I think that there's bigger gains in that category of player and it's just really fun to teach them. That's That's what I appreciate about your content is that you said it, you simplify it, even for me. And I fo- I have followed you on, on Instagram for a while and just the way you break down things. And I'm like, I kind of have those aha, the light bulb goes off. And so I, I appreciate that. I'm sure I know Mark appreciates that as well. And, and I can only imagine what other people appreciate. So it's just those, it's little things. And I've been a coach, I've coached high school golf, I coach baseball and softball. And so it only takes one little thing for a kid or an adult to kind of get that light bulb goes off and then yeah. they run with it. So. Yeah, I love that. It's sometimes it's just having a different intention about what you're trying to do or the way you've been thinking about the golf swing or the way you're thinking about impact. And when they start visualizing it a little differently or relate it to something that they already know how to do, an athletic movement that they already have mastered at another point in their life, it's just like you start to relate to these people in a way that they can hopefully make the leap into their golf motion. Mm-hmm quicker, simpler. They make those changes in a way that feels a little bit more comfortable, a little bit faster. I mean, making motor pattern changes is never totally comfortable. People get, you have to get uncomfortable to then get comfortable Mm -hmm. again. Anytime anything is different, even just a subtle change in your grip, like feels uncomfortable, you know, but I think that overall, when you have an understanding for what it is that you're trying to do and you can relate it to something you already know, it really helps eliminate or minimize that learning curve and the discomfort that comes with learning. Erica, when like, when you're taking someone from, you know, your high handicap down to a lower handicap, we all kind of want to know the like perfect strategy to like get there. Is there any perfect strategy or is it kind of like what's differentiates that kind of person that's a 10, 20 down to like your lower handicaps, like in your view over the years? I certainly think that in terms of scoring, short game is a big deal. And so being able to truly get a feel for your wedges around the green and distance control on putting is is a really big part of your ability to go from a novice golfer or a newer golf, a, a new or higher handicap golfer to somebody that can actually score. So what you do inside 50 yards is a really big component to scoring. I mean, I would spend a lot of time there. I talk a lot about bring up your swing, unlocking your true swing is kind of my thing. And what does that really mean is to get tension out of your 
out of your body and out of your hands in a way that you can you can move athletically, but let your arms and and hands really be more the followers. I, I think high handicap players are guilty of a lot of manipulation, a lot of trying to help the ball get up in the air, hitting at the ball, scooping the ball, trying to lift it, trying to muscle the shot. And when you realize that efficient motion is smooth and it feels more effortless that when you actually do a little less work and you try less hard, (laughs) try less hard, things actually get better. And that's the lesson I try to teach a lot of golfers is how they can stop trying to over control the result, not try so hard and understand that that true swinging motion is going to do the work for you to create really good mechanics to create the speed that you're looking for. And honestly, to help you create the consistency of your swing. If you're constantly manipulating things to try to happen, there's no consistency to that. It's like you're constantly Mm -hmm. trying to manufacture something to happen. All, All you can do as a golfer is swing the club, aim yourself, aim where you're trying to go, align align the club in your hands and your body to the target and swing the club. That's all you can do. If you try to do more than that, it usually backfires. And our best days, it feels that simple. It feels like you're just sort of connecting with the target and swinging. We're not overthinking, you know? So if we can find that place, that's where I think better golf lives. It's where when we're in the zone, that's how that feels. So understanding that less is more and that we're on the journey to more efficient motion, freer natural motion. I think that's to me where good golf lives for the better players. That's how to break into that next level of playing and scoring. But underneath all of that, you still need to figure out how to get the ball in the hole, which comes down to what are you doing inside 50 yards? Like, having some idea of using your tools, developing touch. That's a, that's a big part of being able to lower your scores. So should they, should we be practicing our short game? Like, like 75% of our practice, or would you say like, is there kind of like an amount to that? Or it's just, as long as you get it into like a little bit of the 50 yards in. Yeah. I would say split your practice evenly, like 50% full swing, 50% short game, but if you're truly newer to the game, I would truly work inside a hundred yards. Like don't even worry about playing from the tee box or the full length, like try to play par three course courses more, try to just put a ball down or tee up from inside a hundred yards and try to get in the hole in three or four or five shots. If you can do that consistently and then add the longer you know, tee shot or the the first or second shot behind that, then now you're in a position where you're going to be more confident to score, to keep up pace of play and understand what it takes to get the ball in the hole without, you know, hitting it, hitting a poor tee shot or dribbling a ball down the fairway three times until you even get close to the green. That's discouraging. Mm-hmm. And, and it takes a lot of time. And now you've made a lot of swings. Now you're mentally and physically fatigued and frustrated. Like put yourself at a hundred yards get a pitching wedge, figure out how to get the ball on or very close to the green from a hundred yards, chip and putt. Let's get the ball in the hole with three or four tries. Like <laughs> this is possible. Um, if you can't do it at a hundred yards, put yourself at 50 yards. Like where can you make a three from? If you can figure that out early on, you'll be better for it later on. So I truly think that that's time well spent. And if you're struggling, with your swing, go back and figure out how to hit good shots at 50 yards and 75 yards and hundred yards. Cause like, that's where good ball striking is learned, I think. And then you can make it bigger and then you can make it longer and you can make it faster. But if you're just trying to fix your full swing, cause you think that's where you're going to get better. It's, it's not all about that. There's, mm-hmm. there's more, there's certainly a lot more to it than that. As you guys know, it, can you teach creativity and touch? Sure. I, I feel like I learned growing up from my grandfather and my dad and Mark knows, like, I just feel like my short game is, is my, what I lean on all the time, which I feel that's why I'm a a decent golfer. I could be better, Mm -hmm. but I just see so many people, like you just said, they kind of go the opposite. They start and worry about hitting everything long and then they struggle 150, 175 yards in or they're, or they can't putt and then they're losing 
five, six, seven. A lot of strokes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think you can teach creativity because it starts with visualization. If somebody's never, ever watched a round of golf, even on TV or never watched the game being played, they may not have any idea of what the possibilities are, right? So observing and watching golf is kind of a good first step to understanding what is the goal here. But I think if you've done any kind of activity in your life that involves any kind of ball and stick and target, it could be basketball, it could be, it could be anything, any kind of activity. It could be shuffleboard. I mean, it, literally bowling, like you, 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 you have to sort of see what you're trying to do mm -hmm. before you do it. Uh, people that don't visualize consistently are typically not as skilled. There's a hundred percent correlation with that. Your best players are really clear, good, powerful visualizers on what they're trying to do. They see it. It's, it's, there's a sense of fluency there of like, they, they see the shot they want to hit. They know the club that goes with that. They instinctively have a feel for the swing that they need to make that tool do that job. Like it, they just know it. They just feel it. And newer golfers don't have that fluency. They have to think through that process a lot more. So it's much more conscious. So that process of going from very much like conscious in, incompetence to unconscious competence, that's where people get better. And so at the pro level, those guys are certainly talking with their caddies about the shot they want to hit, but they are already sort of know, they know what they want to do, you know? Yeah, so right. can we practice enough where we can really start with that clear mental picture, maybe quickly choose between a couple of options of do, do I visualize this high, medium, or low? And why is one choice better than another? There's a framework for what probably makes sense in different situations that coaches can teach you. But generally speaking, if I was going to tell anybody anything, it's, you know, try to produce the shot that gets the ball on the ground as soon as, as possible with the smallest swing possible. <laughs> mm. Because if you can do that, if you can flight the ball low and you can keep your swing short, which those two things kind of go together, you're typically going to reduce your chance margin for error. You're going to take on less risk. The higher you fly the ball and the farther you fly it, you're making bigger swings mm -hmm. with like more lofted clubs. It's fancier. You're taking on more risk because big swing, big miss. Right. So anytime you can like really minimize risk around the greens, you're doing yourself a favor. You're picking smarter shots, but also you're at the mercy of your lie, what you're trying to carry to get the ball to take its first bounce someplace that makes sense. Like there definitely are factors, but that's what we're talking about. It's being able to see what it is that you're trying to do, pick something smart that makes sense for that shot. And then I think that like secret sauce of going from, okay, I know what I want to do, but can I actually execute it? That's certainly where skill development and practice comes in. So mm -hmm. aside from even being able to pick the shot you want, can you execute or understand what club selection you need to hit a ball low medium and high. What changes? Is it just the club you're using? Is it kind of how you're standing? Is it the way you're swinging? Like what is changing to produce a couple different trajectories? If you can control your trajectory and then you have a sense of controlling distance, meaning your carry distance with different trajectories, you can hit any shot you want around the greens. And that's kind of the formula I use to coach short game when I'm doing my classes or my private lessons, or even for that matter, like my online courses is that's the framework that I typically start with. And the skills that you build of learning how to use your tools, that, your wedges, your tools that way around the green speak volumes as to then when you try to make bigger swings and do things with longer clubs, including even your driver, like those ball striking skills that you develop around the greens translate much better when it's time to hit longer, fuller shots. But if you're not confident and you have no clue and no touch and no visualization around the green, I feel like your chances of doing it on a full swing are, are much less. So I would hundred percent start close to the green and work backwards. If I was a new golfer and if you're a struggling high handicap golfer, I think going back to the beginning and figuring out how to hit solid chip shots and solid pitch shots will go a long way to helping your full swing improve. Because yeah, I practice right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, I want to let the listeners know where they can get get in touch with you with lessons and everything like that. Can you can you let sure. us know? Yeah, I'm the director of instruction at Creighton Farms in Aldi, Virginia, not too far from where you guys are home based. 
I have a website, my name, ericalarkin.com, which has, it's the hub for all things that I do, both the social links, the golf schools, the private lessons, the online content. I mean, all of it is kind of there. It's probably the best place to go, but I'm most active on social media on Instagram. So if you are following these guys and you aren't following me yet, hop over to Erica Larkin Golf and all the links are there as well. So Eric, I got to ask you, I've asked a couple of our guests along the way and it just, I was thinking about it today. Are you a Jack or Tiger person? Who's the, who's the goat of golf? I've never shook Tiger's hand. I've shaken Jack's hand. So maybe <laughs> I should say Jack. And Jack I'm, about right? to, I'm about to meet him again in a couple of weeks at an event. So, nice. I mean, Jack's a legend. Obviously his record stands for itself. I grew up in the Tiger generation. So obviously there's more memories there. I didn't grow up watching Jack play live. So I'm an 80s baby, but I kind of just missed it. Like I wasn't a golfer yet in 86. So, you know, I, I, I guess I'm torn with that question. I, I, there's been a lot of drama around Tiger, obviously his, his, his life, his choices he's made, and that's not been a great thing. But at the same time, you can't discount the fact that he's an unbelievable athlete, a one of a kind generational kind of athlete like Jack. I mean, they both, they both have had just crazy stories and unbelievable careers. And I don't think you can, people like to compare them. They're just really different, I think. So they each served a generation of golfers in a very special way. And I respect them both immensely, regardless of personal choices. So as athletes, it's incredible to watch either one of them and think about what they've done and, and just the stuff they've seen and the discipline they both had, like, it's, it's incredible. Any of those guys, but for sure their, their records, you know, speak for themselves. Did did you think five years ago that you would in 2019 going into 19, that Tiger Woods would have a chance at winning the masters after all he had been through? Oh gosh. No. Yeah. I think that's, I I think that's fair. mm -hmm. I mean, I, I coming back from any kind of injury is tough. I deal with teaching people every day on lesson T that struggle with, you know, some hip thing or knee thing or shoulder thing that happened to them years ago. And they're limited with range of motion. And the fact that he went through physically what he's gone through all the different surgeries and rehabs and all this traumatic physical stuff and is able to just even not just swing the club, like play to the level that he did is it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. It's, it's hard to understand the kind of pain he probably was in and what he overcame. So just that mental strength to even want to take that journey to know what it, that just speaks to his talent, just sheer talent. Mm -hmm. And maybe the perfect storm of he had something to prove both to the public, to himself, to his kids, like he had something to prove and and just, just his sheer determination to get healthy and to show himself like that it wasn't over to go out more on his terms somehow. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, it'd be cool. I don't know if he will, but it'd be cool to watch him play like senior tour golf, but for what? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know for, for what, Why, what there's, would motivate him to do that? There's part of me that, so my my cousin and I were there in 2019 by happenstance, kind of last minute. We got to go on Sunday. So there's part of me that wants him to win another major to see him do it. But there's part of me that's like, I can say I got to see Tiger win his last major. That's yeah. Selfish, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope, I hope cool. there's another I one because I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Erica, we don't want to take too much of your time up, but I I really appreciate you coming on tonight Mm -hmm. and uh, we've enjoyed talking to you and hopefully, you know, our listeners will take advantage of, of your lessons. And I know I've done one lesson with you and I, you asked for my goal and I said to be less than a 10 handicap by the time we do a few lessons. And I was less than a 10 (laughs) that year. So that's a good promotion, right? I was like an eight and a half. So I was like, I'll take it. I'm, I'm yes. back over 10, so I might need some more work, but <laughs> well, it's the winter. We're all a little bit rusty this time <laughs> That's right. of year. That's right. Well, I appreciate that, you guys. It was nice to chat with you, and thanks for having me on your show. You're welcome. Right. Thanks, Have Eric. A good appreciate one. it. Thank you. Bye. Dude, that was awesome. It was great having Eric on the show. Yeah. I mean, she's a she is definitely a professional. She she broke things down in a way that I think 
as she as she put it, juniors, amateur golfers, professional, like people that are high scratch golfers, all kind of need some things to work on. She puts it out in a way that just makes it easy. I told we told her her content is great because it it just she simplifies things, and that's what I like about her instruction and which how she explains things. So yeah, I mean, glad to have her on and appreciate it. Right, and the simplification of golf, we need more of that because how long yeah. of over our years of playing golf. Are there times in your realm where you just can't get it together because your brain is just thinking about all these mechanics? You know, you don't have your swing one day. It's like, okay, am I taking it inside enough? Am I, is my tempo right? You know, am I dropping the club in the slot right? It's just too much going on in your brain. And Mm -hmm. to take some complex movements and just make it a little bit easier to process. And it changes your swing thoughts. You know, we were kind of talking about, off air of of how we've learned golf on this podcast even more and it was cool to get her takes on golf and and the simplification shortening the swing that's something i need to take from from this interview it's it's short to it to the ball you know maybe especially when you don't have your best swing and i've done it a couple times and and i wish i would do it more often it's just slow down and take a short swing and just keep the ball in play, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a, and it's so hard to get your brain to to do that because how, how like if the game is going, you know, how the long ball is the big thing, hitting it as far as you can. It's hard to get that out of your brain. Right. And just mm-hmm. focus on the, the short stuff, keep it in play, good short game. And I feel like our games would get a lot better. You know why it's hard? What was that? Because you have too many Bud Lights on the course, and then you stop thinking about it, <laughs> trying to murder the ball there, Moonshine. Yeah, I was thinking about that, but I like drinking cold Bud Lights <clears throat> on the golf course, so I can't. I don't think I can do away. There needs to be a heavy medium because there's always a part of your drinking on the golf course where it's uh, things are going really well. You care less, but you're kind of fluid. The strokes yep. feeling good, the whole swing lube thing, and then it takes a turn for the worst. <laughs> See, and I'm. I li- I do like having a drink on the golf course. I just don't like going overboard on the golf course because yeah. I personally love the game of golf enough where if I have four or five beers, great, but I want to stay in the zone to where, and I get frustrated. Like we all get frustrated, but I agree. Like if you got a little bit of swing lube and you're kind of in the groove, you know, I do feel like having a beer or two actually helps you get back in the groove too. Right. As I found on the Bourbon Classic this year, not playing well. Congrats to CC Stats once a, or uh, to Callie Craig once again for kicking my ass. So. <laughs> but, but dude, there's a lot of stuff going on with golf and we cut, excuse me, we kind of went into it with Erica a little bit. Just we've been talking about it for weeks. You got the live event last week matched up against the PGA Tour. Pebble, Pebble gets cut off short. Head to head and all of a sudden carpet got that, pulled out from under him. Yeah, all, all of a sudden it's gone, but. What's your thoughts on live? Because because you actually yeah, tuned in a little bit, right? I did. I did. I watched a fair amount on Saturday, and then I caught about. I guess I caught. Actually, no. I watched. I watched a good amount on Sunday. Saturday, I had them both going for about three hours. Sunday, obviously, Pebble had got postponed, so I watched live from about one thirty to about four. I ran out for about thirty minutes, came back, and then the the playoff was fire. Like, yeah, that was cool. You know, I I didn't re- I obviously didn't realize this. I saw somebody talking about this. The music, I don't hate the music, but I hate the music where you can hear it, even though it's on the other side of the course. Like they right. gotta figure out a way to like dampen that. Like it's one thing if I'm standing on the tee box, and the music's right there, but if John Rahm's on the 15th hole and the music's on the 18th hole, you shouldn't be able to hear it on TV. Like it just they gotta figure that out a little bit. Yeah, like somehow background noise mute that out a little bit or something. But yeah, yeah. or the um, thing is, is I think that what will change is it, the events that they have a lot more fans at. You might, I don't know, you might hear more commotion, people walking around. Maybe. You know, the PGA events you hear still a little shuffling when there yeah. when there's nobody out there on some of these tee boxes. You can I can tell at least on some of the different tee boxes you hear it a lot and then some you don't and i feel like when i was watching john rom and some of them maybe i'm overplaying it but i feel like i didn't hear it as much sometimes when they had a lot of people following them i heard rom asked apparently asked him to turn the music down at one point yeah he did turn around and say the to turn something down or or which is kind of interesting because that's kind of the point of live 
Uh, it's going to take some adjustment for anybody. I mean, I'm sure that that's kind of a, for all of them, right? When they go into it for the first yeah. tournament, it's like, okay, this is a little different. There's music playing. It's a little bit more of a party scene. They're used to silence, you know, the PGA tour style, a little more stiff. That's probably is a little tough to get used to a little bit. I do like, I do like the hot mics, the live mics. Like they were picking up, I don't know if you caught any, I think it was Sunday. Just seemed that Joaquin, Waco. Is there yeah, so when is he like Waco? <laughs> I don't know. Is this just like a, I mean, I'm sure it's his nickname, <laughs> but I was thinking the whole broadcast. I think I sent something to you. I'm like, who yeah. the hell's Waco? I mean, I know who they're talking about and it's his nickname, but it's just like, that's all they've called him. I was just like, I just never knew that was his nickname. To, to me, a little bit on Sunday, and obviously Neiman didn't have his best on Sunday early, him and his caddy seemed like they were just kind of button heads a little bit on some stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of they they figured mm-hmm. it out, but it just seemed interesting. They weren't on the same page. Yeah, I, I could I could feel that a little bit on some of the like heated holes, you know, when yeah. they were kind of figuring out what shot to hit. And they did, yeah, they didn't seem quite on the same page half the time. But dude, just like you were saying, the playoff was pretty cool. I think that was a plus for them that it turned into a playoff. I did really enjoy the competitiveness of Sergio to kind of just like, screw it. We're going back to the tee. We're doing Mm -hmm. it. We're going. I don't care if it's dark. And also they offered him, I told you this, and I don't know if you you heard it, but they offered him the cart, him and Waco to get to the fairway (laughs) from their tee shot just to speed it up a little bit. And he's like, no, we're we're playing it like normal. Although he did get in the cart, though. They, They went in the cart to go back to the tee, but I think he refused to do the cart after their tee shots i thought on the last time that they hopped in the car maybe maybe they did but uh, but i know that he at least he at least refused it at first but yeah i just thought that was cool it's good competitiveness i think that kind of drove my interest up a little bit because they were they were so into it so whether it's like go ahead yeah i was reading something or i saw something about the whole team aspect so obviously the first two days they're taking the top three of the four team scores right all right so if if me, you, and Trackman are on a team, and we all shoot three under for the first two days, and Callie Craig shoots five over. We're not taking his score, right? So we're we're nine under, right? Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then how – so at what point do you start taking the fourth guy's score? So if I'm five over now, Callie Craig's five over and is even two holes in, and we're still nine under, all of a sudden now are we four under? No, it's the per day score. So like if, okay. if, so yeah, so it just breaks it down per day. Yeah. That's a good question. But I think, I think if I got it right, it's every day it, it starts at, you know, even par. So in terms of like their individual score, if, if I got it right, their individual so it restart, score re, it is normal stroke play. Day. I think it restarts the whole time, but I might, I might can't be wrong. Rest, like can't it, restart the whole time because you got to have a team score after the first two days. But I'm so just thinking that like a, it affects their score each day, like they they keep what they ha- they keep what they had the day before. I might be wrong that some of the the people that have been in to live a little bit even more than I have because I've been trying to follow up pretty well. But if I have it right now, I'll, I'll double check after the podcast. But from what I thought, it was like each day it's your like aggregate score. So yeah, you're five under. I'm four under. We're at negative. You know, we're minus nine, and you know, one of us shoots plus five, you know, so next day, I think it starts at even for the day, but you keep your overall score. Okay. That's what I think it is. And then the last day they count everybody's, you know, I don't, I don't think it's your total. Cause that, I don't know if that makes sense to me, but maybe it does. I mean, maybe that's, no, I I think, I think it's probably the aggregate, the total aggregate of the first two days. And then the last day you kind of start at even or zero. So yeah, maybe that's it. We'll have to look it up. I I feel like the team thing is nice, but like I think I feel like they need to do more. They do the match play thing at the end of the year. And I think the PJ Tour needs to do the same thing. They need to do a little bit more. Like I think that would be kind of cool to do. I mean, how many teams are there? 14, 15 teams? 15? There's a lot of teams now. 14. Yeah. I think there's 14 teams and two wild cards, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. I just feel like they could sprinkle in a match play or something in there. They need to. I mean, I, I sort of said on the broadcast and they actually, I think they actually responded to that one. No. Yeah. They actually put it on the broadcast last year. And I told you. Yeah. I was like, I got it. I was watching the team championship. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, yeah. I, that was the most fun I've had watching it. 
compared to the PGA Tour was the team championship. That was cool golf because it was match play. And we talked about this a couple of episodes ago. You know, it's Kepka versus whoever. And if if he wins his match and and so and so all squares, they win, they go to the next round. That's yeah. it's sick. Like that's awesome. Like that's cool team golf. I think they could still do their same model. I do like that they added where everybody's score counts the last day for Sunday. I think that made sense because then you can't have the sandbag and like yeah. the guy just kind of riding the coattails of somebody that the other three guys that are playing great and he's playing awful. The only the only thing I'll I'll, I'll say to that though is to me though like I hadn't other than I thought it was you know Legion thirteen kind of they all played great and they won. But to me, like, I wasn't focused on the team as much. Like, I feel like, to me, like, the team concept in this, their format gets lost. That's just my opinion. I, I, other people might disagree, but I just feel that that format gets, lo- format gets lost. It's truly a stroke play individual event, and then you're throwing team with it. And I just feel like that mixture is a little hard to kind of mix them both together. What if they, but, I guess, I don't know how they would do this, but what if they kept the teams together throughout their round you know we, you think you would focus more on their total probably not team aspect more or, or you have like two I of think one team and two of the other team i think it's kind of cool the way you know because rom rom played with sir or rom played with neiman and burma Bur, uh, dean burmeister yeah so those three guys were all in contention and then sergio was in the group i guess in front of them technically and you kind of got to see those guys compete against each other. I mean, Ram obviously didn't win the tournament, but he had a chance and bogeyed the last two. So I don't think I'd like to see them same guys in there. I think they'd have to do a straight team event and figure it out or multiple team events. Or I, I was think thinking the other cool. day that they could do once a month, like every fourth event or something was a team event, you know, just something to keep time. it just, just to keep it rolling. And that would keep it interesting. And then I think like the team aspect of the stroke play and the normal events, it, it would be kind of the same thing. It's kind of lost a little bit in it, but then you're kind of paying attention to it some. And then you're yeah. like, okay, well, I can't wait till now they're seated out and they're playing the February tournament in Saudi Arabia and and so-and-so since they did finish up one, two, three, four, they're the top yeah. seeds. That would be cool. Because that's kind of how they do towards the end, you know, it's they seed them out. But if they seeded them out kind of more frequently through the year, that would get more attention to the team, you know, rather than it's just like a lot of attention at the end because, okay, so-and-so won so many and you didn't even pay attention. They're spraying champagne. Like I had no clue that some of the teams that were higher ranked had had won or or been up there on some of those. I remembered Taylor Gooch winning the ter- individual stuff, but I, I agree with you a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of been lost. A, a little bit lost in the mix of the individual. So they, I think they're still sorting that out. But well, but I think a way to do that would be having more match play. It's just that would make it more interesting. They got plenty of time. They got only play in thirteen tournaments. Add two tournaments. Play fifteen. They play in fifteen between February and. What October, September? You can't add two more tournaments in there. And you granted, may. they have the ma- they have to work around the majors. I, I do. I, I I watched Waco's post post tournament interview, and he kept saying, "I'm not in the majors," and I do feel for him. And, and I feel like that's the part that sucks because obviously Rom's going to be in the majors, and Phil's going to be in some of the majors. I mean, Phil played terrible last weekend. I think at one point he was 13 over, 12 over. I was yeah. like, holy cow, you're a team captain. Come on, dude. But I feel like guys like, going back to the team thing, guys like Phil, who obviously <laughs> Phil can play really well, not taking a shot at Phil, he just didn't play well last week. I think in a team format, he might play a little differently. You know, I don't know. I just feel like, I do feel like there's some of those guys that are going to be in the majors and some that aren't. I mean, as well as Gooch played last year, he should be in all four majors this year. You know, I saw Wyndham Clark moved up in the standings in the world rankings with his three-round win, which, look, somebody took a shot at the PGA Tour because, actually, I believe it might have been a past guest who took a little shot at the PGA Tour. Like, that past guest took a shot, and I, don't, I shouldn't call it a shot, but PGA Tour played three rounds. They had to cancel it because the bad weather. I mean, there's been a ton of rain, a million inches of rain in California. But they were trying to get it in. That's what they wanted to do. I think it sucks 
I don't think when when this all happened, I realized how much the world rankings were going to affect people. And now you have guys that are playing top of their game, but they're not they're not in the Masters. They're not going to the U.S. Open unless they qualify. They're not going to the British Open. You know, so that part sucks. Wyndham Clark moved up to a certain point in the official go- world golf rankings, and Waco moved moved down. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Well, so I mean, anyway, I mean, I I posted Dan Rappaport posted you know a Q and A, and I said that what's his thoughts on how they should properly merge this, and I've talked about it our ears off but again like why can't you make it two different like leagues where the these live guys can't play the elevated events because they don't get rewarded for leaving that kind of thing have the stars of the pga tour play in the elevated events have the stars of live getting into all these unelevated events that makes those communities prosper from that event it's still interesting and then the times they play together as the majors and then mm-hmm. they have something head up, you know, head team versus team, or just straight up match play Ryder Cup style at the end of the year. Yeah. And it has to be something like that at some point. And I, I'm sure it's going there at some point. But that would be a way for these guys to get points because it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I mean, you can't you can't keep lowering their official world golf rankings of Neiman that's playing great golf, shooting 59. Taylor Gooch winning three events. I don't care that there's 54 players. A lot of those 54 players are good players, you know. Take where those 54 players were when this all started and see where were they ranked in the world. That's right. That would be yeah. That's it's ridiculous, dude. So they need to, whether it's they adopt another rankings to get in the majors or that kind of thing, or you have to let these live guys even prior to the deal play in some of these PGA events to get themselves some official world golf rankings. You know, if they're not going to give them to them, they have to give them some other opportunity other than the Asian tour where they're not going to get as much points. How about uh, this? How about this? I just Tell me if this makes sense. Probably doesn't. You open live up to guys that are in the top 100 in the world, right? So you have 100 guys come out, play at, play in Vegas this week, right? Play one round. And after one round, you cut it down to the top 54. And then you played three rounds. Because then you could get your official world, like you, that could claim that the official world golf rankings, that it's pretty much close to PGA style. That would be interesting. That like, would be, that's cool. I didn't think about that. Maybe one, and I'm kind of coming off that. Or if, even if they added 18 more players and they had 72. And I know that would be harder for them because then they, they can't do the shotgun start. Per se, I guess they could, but no, I like your model though because, dude, just think if you and, and the ad off of that because I'm just spitballing right now. It's like we're brainstorming, like we work for live. But you have a team, you have your four dudes, you have one guy, your captains vote that they're kind of the alternate guy. You have this competing round, and say Rory McIlroy kills it, he wins. And the cliques say, "Hey, so and so, you're Samuja or, or one of them. You're you're out this week. Rory's with us, and then they roll. That would be ridiculous. Like the, so, so where the team guy that gets benched still gets he's part of the team. He still gets if the team wins the right. the team event that week, they get money. They're part of the team, but it's just like benching somebody on your team. You know, it's, it's Rory played well." He he's in the top fifty four, and you know you go from there, and then then that would give them more credibility on official world golf rankings. I'm That's sure cool, they have. A, I'm I sure like they this troubleshooting session. I do, I do. <clears throat> the only downfall is we watched it, but according to the ratings, not that many people watched it. I saw that like one point nine million people watched it on Saturday. Watched the pe- watch Pebble on Saturday, but then Sunday only four hundred fifty thousand watched it live on Sunday. The, the, I'd, I'll rebuttal that, though, is, is that was CW's... I'm, I'm kind of banking off the live Twitter trolls and myself, which I'm, I'm right down the middle, folks. So I like live. I like well, some of the stuff they're doing. I like the PGA Tour, like you've heard. But, you know, you think about most of the people that watch it, and I keep hearing the responses that people saying that, okay, they, they're putting out the ratings, and everybody that's kind of hitting it, they're like, dude, we all watched it on the app. We all watched it on the app. We all watched it on YouTube. Stop or watching you- it on the app. 
Yeah, but I mean, just saying it, it deflated their stats. Now, do I think well, they yeah. had the same as the PGA Tour? Probably not. But but I would assume, just out of a guesstimate, that they had double the ratings that they said they had. You know, like eight hundred, like eight hundred k. You know, you say you think when the other live events were on YouTube, you'd get like two hundred k were on there when I'd yeah. be watching it, or one hundred and forty. You think about the rest of the people or about the same amount of people are on the app or maybe a little bit more because, because they're kind of promoting the app. So i still think they're probably shy of a million, but probably like yeah. estimate 600 to 800 K, which Fair. if you're going to compare it to last year, it's an improvement. Yeah. Can they, can they keep rolling off that? They're not going to meet PGA tour ratings for a while because it's just all the old heads, and well, even us that have PGA Tour in the background every Sunday, I mean, just like think of all the old men and women that play golf their whole life, and they've just always had the PGA Tour on Sunday afternoons on CBS, or they're watching their flicks, their normal stuff, and the PGA Tour comes on and just never goes off the TV. Well, you know? I think it, it's going to be, it gets more difficult when they're not in the United States. Right. You know, when they go overseas and they're playing in Saudi Arabia and they're playing in England and wherever else, like it's, it gets a little bit more difficult. So, cause they, the, the start times vary, but right. Hey, cause the, you know the CW ratings, yeah, will will definitely not be great when they're in some of those places that are real off schedule with the U S you know? Well, you know, what's nice is we have the waste management this weekend that kicks off tomorrow. And then we have the live tournament, which is in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58 that starts this weekend as well on Friday. And I don't know when I know that the waste management tries to finish a little bit early, but I don't think it's really that early. I mean, I think that both rounds, they want to finish before six. I do think live is intentionally trying to finish before, before the Super Bowl kicks off from what I understand. Mm -hmm. So now I remember uh, like when Brooks won it, I feel like it was getting close, but I think Brooks. It's our waste management. Yeah. Waste management. You know, when Brooks won like if three years ago or whatever it was, and he chipped in or whatever. I remember he was like chipped in. He was on like seventeen, and we were kind of on pregame of the Super Bowl. Yeah, like I don't 16. think it. I, I don't think it cut into the broadcast. I think it was like pretty close. But for some reason, I remember like Brooks winning it, and then we're like, "Cool, Brooks won," and then we cut it over the Super Bowl. You know, well, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, they'll get to go head to head this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. So, hey, you know what? All that matters, moonshine. What's the that? boys can get up and down for the win. Get up and down, brother. Cheers.